Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Welcome back, everyone, to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I'm honored to be here. Today, we have a very special guest from Little Bear Produce. He is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing, Trent Bishop. Trent's going to talk about his journey through his career, as well as supply and demand for Little Bear Produce, as well as managing during the COBIB crisis. Let's not forget a few opportunities that will help you along the way. Hey, Trent, it's great to have you on the line today. Hey, Patrick, good to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, no, it's uh, during this crazy time in America's history, I think it was always good to have real talk with real people as I talk about all the time. You know, what's funny is I was thinking about it off the mic is when we last met or when we last saw each other, I think we last saw each other was at the PMA probably three or four years ago. But we met around 2010 when we were both doing Citrus. And what's crazy is what resonated with me is when we first met, you kind of told me this story. And you were like, hey, listen, Pat, I, I didn't grow up in ag. You're like, I went to, I went to college. I got a, uh, you know, an ag degree, you know, an emphasis in ag. You're like, but I didn't grow up in this industry like you did. And then you said to me, you're like, but I realized at a very early age that everyone needs to eat. And you know what's funny, Trent, is still to this day, it's 10 years later, and I still remember that story of what you told me. And that's kind of how I know Trent Bishop. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, you nailed it. Um, and in fact, that story goes back, uh, well, almost 30 years now when I'm graduating high school and, and my dad kind of corners me and he's like, okay, son, you know, where are you going with this life? And I'm, I'm looking around and of course in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, uh, we have quite a bit of uh, produce grown down here. And I just thought to myself, well, you know what? Uh, even though I was not raised in the ag industry, I'm thinking there's always going to be a need for fresh food in our, you know, feeding our population. And as I also looked around, I noticed that all the guys in the produce industry seemed to be making a pretty good living and enjoying themselves. And so I thought, you know what, that, that, let's start there. And so uh, applied at Texas A&M and ended up getting my degree in agribusiness. And I guess the rest is history. I, I think it's a fun story because on my end, my father promoted not to go to college. And he was like, no, you have to work right? You have to work your way up. So I started in the fields picking oranges, like I told you. And then, you know, I went into the packing house and I went through that deal. So, I mean, I remember getting my forklift driver's license as a, as a young, I would say uh, adult, but yeah, it was like, I had that journey through the field. Right. And I, I always expect when I'm talking to produce people that everybody has that same experience sometimes. And, and it's not the case, especially with you. It wasn't, but with your knowledge over the last 30 years, right? I think you've gained a great reputation in the industry and a lot of partnerships and friendships uh, probably come out of that too. I mean, ours, our friendship has, uh, as well as probably a lot others, wouldn't you say? Oh, without a doubt. In fact, uh, you know, as I stop and think about what you were just saying, you know, I went through the United Leadership class uh, it was back in 97, 98, I believe. There was, there was 11 of us that went through the class 
And I am still extremely good friends with at least half of my fellow classmates and the others I keep in touch with. But, uh, you know, one of my first mentors in the business told me, he said, Trent, there is enough bad guys in this industry that when you find the good guys, you got to stick together. And so I've always taken that to heart. And like to think that I'm a good guy. And when I find like-minded individuals, progressive, proactive thinkers, uh, I try to stick with them and, and, you know, cause a little momentum. I, I agree with you. And we all find those bad people in, in the industry and we have to work through that. There's a lot of people that uh, are out there. And again, listen, we all have bad deals every once in a while. So we all have issues every once in a while, right? Um, so we understand that, but I, I totally agree with you that uh, friendships, relationships in this industry is everything, and our industry goes across the globe. So even right now, our industry during this crisis is having issues together, wouldn't you say? I mean, imports are, are having issues, exports are having issues, domestic is having issues. So no matter where you are in the world, uh, we're all sticking together and we have to stick together. Without a doubt, and as cliche as it sounds, I mean, we truly are all on this together. Uh, we, whether you're a buyer or a seller or a grower, importer, ultimately what we're trying to do here is keep consumption up. And it's all of our jobs to figure out how we're going to get our goods in the hands of consumers. And right now, consumers are locked down. And so we have to be more creative than ever as a means of making sure we're able to, to keep those channels open. You're hundred percent right. Well, that's a perfect segment into J and D produce also known as little bear produce. What's happening in your world right now? I know you guys do a lot of different things from asparagus to greens, to limes, to melons. So I know there's a lot of things on the list there. Um, what does the supply look like right now? Like, what what can we expect uh, from your organization uh, throughout the supply chain uh, for the next couple weeks? Sure. Uh, so right now we're actually wrapping up our, our greens program as it gets hotter in South Texas here. You know, we're wrapping up uh, most of our greens. Our celery just finished. Our cabbage has about another three weeks. But what we're just getting into, we just finished our Mexican onions. We've got Texas onions coming off. Uh, we will have our first Texas watermelons come off this uh, today's Tuesday, tomorrow, actually. We're going to harvest our first Texas watermelons, and then the first week of May, we'll be into our Texas honeydews. So we have a, we have a lot of stuff still going. Uh, in, in fact, we're just starting probably our, our busiest 9 to 12 weeks of the entire year. Wow, so you're going to be ramping up. Now, I heard, obviously, last week was Easter uh, Easter weekend. Um, I, I did figure out too that everybody doesn't um, celebrate Easter, and I was telling people happy Easter that I shouldn't have. So I just want to reach out and say happy holiday to everyone. Uh, but it, but in our industry, it seems like the retailers take it as the Easter holiday, right? Regardless of what it is. So the Easter holiday was just upon us. Uh, did that affect you guys at all? Because I heard from a lot of different industries categories their verticals were affected because this was their biggest pull uh, of the year and it didn't happen. I would say that um, overall, when we look at the numbers, they're going to be slightly down. But what happened was right after everybody went into the shelter in place, we, we had a huge push of just about every commodity we had. It seemed like every retailer wanted to stock everything. 
And then uh, whether it was a matter of overstocking or not as big of a consumer pull as they were anticipating, there was just a little bit of a lag there. And so um, things slowed down probably eight to 10 days before the Easter holiday. And then right before Easter, we see it picking up again. It seems to have gained some traction in the onion market. The watermelon market seems to have stabilized a little bit. Um, so I, I believe all of the uncertainty and maybe a little bit of the flux that was happening six weeks, four weeks ago seems to maybe be slightly stabilizing a little bit. Gotcha. And I know that it's been tough for the food service industry. My buddy owns a, uh, I'm here in Tampa, Florida. Uh, My buddy owns a pizzeria called uh, Bavaro's Pizzeria. And he's been on the news and he's had to lay off a lot of employees. And obviously people are thinking, yeah, but it's pizza, Patrick. And I'm like, wait a minute here. We're talking fresh tomatoes. We're talking basil. We're talking parsley. We're talking onions. We're talking peppers. Like we're talking this food that, you know, when you think pizza, I mean, everyone, there's a lot in that. So, I mean, I know a lot of restaurants are being affected by this. Even as we are trying to cook from home, we are still ordering out, right? I mean, I I did a date night with the family uh, the other night, Trent, where I went and got a really nice restaurant, right? I went and got it, you know, prepared and I brought it home and I put it on plates and, you know, I tried to do something different for the family. But what I noticed was there was a little bit less extra. So... And, you know, when you order the uh, the tacos, the ahi tuna tacos, uh, the limes didn't come with it like they normally do. Um, so there was a lot of things that I was noticing that you would see normally, but they're not giving in the restaurants or the food service. And I think that's probably uh, because they're not able to turn it over as, as, as quick. Am I, am I right? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I would totally agree with that. I think, you know, it's expensive to inventory, you know, fresh produce. And when you are uncertain as to whether or not uh, without people being able to come in and sit in your restaurant, I I can speak for McAllen. uh, Most of the local businesses are trying to do some sort of either delivery or curbside uh, service. But if you are uncertain as to whether or not the population is going to endorse and support that, you know, how, how do you plan for it? How do you plan for, you know, you certainly know that the inventory you carried uh, two months ago isn't going to fly, but, but how do you, you know, this is unprecedented. I don't know that anybody really understands how to plan for what we're going through right now. Yeah, I feel for them. I mean, you know, it's not just the restaurants. You've got the hotels and the cruise ships. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole segment of our business that is is struggling mightily right now. And when we all get back to whatever the next normal is, you know, I certainly hope all of them survive because you know we need them. We we need those folks to to survive and prosper. I 100% agree with you. And you're going to hear me um, on the next Cisco podcast, Trent. Cisco Canada has their own podcast. And uh, I was actually, they reached out to me uh, to do a podcast with them. So you're going to hear that in the upcoming weeks. But we are going to talk about food service and restaurants being affected. And it's going to be an interesting concept. Uh, Some of the questions that I asked Cisco and some of the questions that Cisco might ask me. Um, But we're going to kind of dive deep into this. And it's interesting because even someone as large as Cisco who has a lot of chain restaurants, and I'm able to talk about this because I had this conversation with them, they are even trying to go, wait a minute, 
what happens if these restaurants don't open back up? The, you sure. know, what happens because they service a lot of this. So everybody at this time has to become innovated and off the line. We talked a little bit, but tell everybody what you told your daughters. I think that's very, very uh, important and impactful at this time. You know, I, I was having a conversation with my 19 year old last night and I was telling her about an article that I had read with uh, Mark Cuban. He said that, there will be some earth-changing businesses that are born as a result of what we're going through right now. Five to seven years from now, we're going to there's going to be some household name businesses that are born of the ideas and the needs that we as a human race didn't even know we needed 60, 90 days ago. And so I was telling her, I said, baby, spin your wheels, start thinking about some things that, that you are, you're seeing or needing or, or uh, hearing about people wanting that we otherwise didn't even think about before, you know, before this whole thing happened. And so, uh, and I used Twitter as an example to her. I said, you know, when Twitter was, was, uh, when it was unveiled, I believe at South by Southwest back in, 70708 whenever it was you know nobody knew what twitter was and now you know who doesn't know what twitter is and so uh you know it'll be very interesting to see what kind of amazing and really cool ideas are born from the situation we find ourselves in right now i agree and that's uh it's a good message to everyone especially that's a message to your employees okay so if you if you are struggling with some employees, because remember, this is a hard time. Everybody is adapting to change. And I talk about I talk about this in one of my trainings I did for the Millennial Boom uh, podcast and our live sessions that I'm doing now is that we talk about change, change, change. One, change is like a slinky and change is a good thing. So think about it. You got to give some of your projects to some of these people that can innovate Right and change and adapt very quickly because they can help produce a business that you didn't even think of. Right, we even talked about that. There's produce boxes being delivered. I got a buddy in Houston, Texas, that's kind of ramping up his business for produce delivery boxes. But I just think it's crazy how. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk here, uh, Trent, because here's the crazy thing. How come if you go on Uber Eats or uh, Grubhub or any of those uh, food service companies that deliver food? None of them deliver produce, right? So even if you go to Uber Eats right now and type in citrus, Uber Eats does not deliver produce from the stores. But yet Postmates and Instacart can through a different platform using drivers. How come a big company like Uber or Lyft or someone like that or even Amazon has not come in and partnered with one of you know a wholesaler and make a new co-op out of this model because I've been thinking about it. Heck, I've even tried to reach out to some of the people at the Uber Eats and all these different locations because I don't believe they're going to be able to do it on their own. I think they're going to need what we said in the beginning of our podcast, which was partnerships and friendships. You know, I, I agree with you, and I, I have uh, I have racked my brain to try to figure out that CryptoQuip magic formula, how we are going to get the Amazons of the world to deliver our product overnight like you can, you know, a pair of scissors. And, uh, who you know, whoever can figure out that logistical puzzle 
is going to hit it. And, you know, I personally have become an Amazon junkie. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm a single dad. And so I don't have time to be shopping like I did at one time in my life. And uh, I literally have boxes delivered. Patrick, since we've been on the phone, FedEx has come up and dropped off two boxes in my house here. So um, it is it is it. We live in a world of convenience, point and click by now, you know. Whoever can figure out how to get our product delivered overnight or two nights, um, they're going to be smoking huge cigars in Costa Rica, you know, just a few years after that. Well, well I'm telling you, I've got the solution and uh, I really need someone from one of these huge logistics companies to reach out, such as Uber. I'm telling you, Trent, I, I, I think that there is a solution for this. I think that Amazon has tried with Whole Foods and how they do deliveries. Um, but I really think this is going to become a network, right? Just like Uber is a network of drivers, we are going to have to develop a network of people to be able to do the exact same boxes to do all this. And I'm not talking about some huge corporation that's going to rent a warehouse and do this because if you notice, there's already programs out there now and at certain times of the year, you might get all leafy greens and no citrus. You might get a bunch of citrus, no peppers. So this right. group has to be very small, right, but big enough to supply the United States. And I think it can happen because I think there's enough um, legitimate wholesalers in each state. And I believe there's enough Uber and Lyft drivers in every state. So I always say I think I've got the solution, but it's all about some of these larger com companies getting in and providing supply chain solutions within logistics, right, on a consumer-based level, not your normal LTL trucking level because you're, you don't want box trucks going through high-end communities that people that have all the way from, I don't care, anywhere down to a $50,000 home to a million-dollar home. I don't want a box truck backing up to my house delivering produce, right? I I want it delivered just like Amazon. Well, uh, you know, you keep using the word solutions, which which I love because I, I consider myself a solutions guy. And I think that if you really – if you really want to get to the bottom of what's going on in our world or if you want to change the way things are going or 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 innovate you you have to basically look at the solution figure out what we as a group need to do to get the result all of us are looking for and right now all of us whether it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on in the produce industry all of us are trying to just simply get our goods in the hands of more and more consumers quickly, uh, safely, and produce something that they enjoy. And maybe, maybe we just need to get the brain powers across the spectrum of our entire industry together and figure out what it is we need to do. I like so, that. You know, it's... Um, it, 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 it sounds complex, but the bottom line is the more product that we get in the kitchens across America, uh, the better off we all are. All of us. It doesn't matter if you're a food service, retail, wholesaler. We want people eating our goods. And the thing is, it's what we should be doing anyway. It's, it's the healthy thing to do. It's true. I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, there's a it's funny example last night when we ordered out, Trent. Um, my wife got uh, three, they came with three carrots 
uh, regular carrots and one purple carrot. And it was interesting because I said, hey, they burnt your carrot. And she goes, no, it's a purple carrot. It just goes to show you how long it's been since I've seen a purple carrot, though. You know what I mean? It's just those things. If we are able to get our produce out more and be able to supply the people that need it, because I've heard here in Tampa that there's people that aren't getting enough produce. They're not getting it because they got laid off or they can't uh, afford it. And ready for this? Have you noticed that the food banks are starting to close? They're overflowed. I mean, there's not enough volunteers to even pack fruit up or, or packages anymore. I got a call the other day saying no more citrus into the food bank. So it's interesting on both sides of the spectrum that we all fight and argue for, you know, for the customer, right? But I do believe if we put a lot of these greatest minds together and develop a platform that I think that everybody would benefit because at times of the year, yeah, you, you go down and you choose whether you want a citrus or a pepper or a melon, right? But they're not always substitutes for each other. It's just how we feel at the time, right? If we want to get that certain produce, because we always expect it to be there, right? Trent, we always expect produce to be in the stores. And then when it's not, uh oh, like, what's the farmer doing? Why don't we have supply, right? But we all get our demand pull uh, from from all of them. I mean, we we can't just grow everything and make it, you know, appear at everybody's home. So it's it's going to be interesting. I think that as we keep moving through this, hundred percent, as you said earlier, I can't wait to see some of the companies that do evolve from this. And I want to see the change. I, I can't wait till people get back to work. Are we still going to be Zoom conferencing with everybody? Or is that going to end because it's you know too personal and we're back at the grind or back at the office? I mean, what do you think? Well, I, I think that we are going to be – I think the world is going to change as a result of what we're going through right now um, in a different way than 9-11. But think of – Think of how different the world was after 9-11. In fact, my daughter asked me the other day, she said, so dad, is this what it was like 9-11? And I said, actually, no, if I stop and think about it, 9-11 was different. After 9-11, we were hugging our neighbors. Everybody came together. We were all, it was like just mad love for everybody. And right now, we are pushing our neighbors away. We're, we're saying, hey, you know, I don't, I don't want whatever you've got. Stay away from me. And so I told her, as weird as it sounds, after 9-11, we all came together, whereas right now, I've never seen us as distant. I, I, I went to the grocery store this morning, and like people don't even want to look at each other right now. You know, it, It's just so strange. It, all right, but to answer your question, sorry, I got off on a little tangent there. Um, I do think Zoom is, is here to stay. I think all of us have realized how easy it is to have these tele, teleconferences and uh, work remotely. But there will never, in my opinion, be a substitute for face-to-face conversations and uh, these types of conversations, you know, where people can just be real with one another. And I'll tell you, I certainly hope that we don't lose face-to-face because – uh, that's my favorite part of what I do every day. I love sitting down with my customers and just being real with them and trying to figure out a, a, a solution to whatever their problem is. I want to be a, a path of least resistance for them. I want to make them smarter with regards to my commodities. I want to make things easy. Uh, I want to find out what it is that's making their life difficult right now so that we can figure out together 
a solution to where we look back on it a couple of years later and say, you know what, we both added value to this relationship. We both figured out how to move more product across the scanner, through the menu, through the cruise ship, through the hotel, and we did it together. But I think we have to stay face-to-face. We can't totally lose that uh, that level of, um, uh, of communication. I agree. I think that, I mean, even myself, I do speaking events for my book, and I've completely lost all those events in person. And that's where I meet a lot of my network. That's where my connections come from. When I get to sit down with the presidents and uh, talent managers of companies, and they get to express to me why their millennial workforce or their Gen Z workforce isn't up to date. I mean, that's how I connect emotionally with people. I mean, because friendships and business is really about emotions. I mean, everybody's here to buy. I say this all the time to a lot of different people. Like, oh, people aren't buying. They're not doing this. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, every single customer out there has a checkbook. And those buyers walk into the office knowing that they have to spend so much money per year to meet a budget. I go, so whether you're just not in front of the right person or not, um, everybody's coming to work to buy, right? So it's like, it's like you said in the beginning, everybody has to eat. Everybody has to eat. So um, I think that the one-on-one, there is no substitute. I do have virtual events that are coming up, uh, but I am looking forward to seeing people again. I'm kind of on the other side. I've stayed home for the last 30 days and now I'm kind of like, all right, all right, okay. Like, this is uh, this is interesting to me now. Like, and I've worked from home my entire life almost. And okay. even then, it's starting to become interesting to me now. You know what I mean? So I hope we go back to that. I'm looking forward to going back to having in-person meetings. Again, that's how I thrive. That's how I get new business partners. So I agree with you, man. And, and a lot of people are, are worrying a lot. And it was funny because I was on Facebook um, yesterday and I hear a quote, I don't know where it came from that I had posted on my Facebook four years ago on April 13th of 2016. And it says, if you cannot help worrying, remember that worrying cannot help you either. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. If, if you worry, you die. If you don't worry, you die. So why are you worrying? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that. I, uh, I, something that I, I tell my kids or whoever will listen to me whenever the situation comes up, I say, if it doesn't matter in five years, don't spend five minutes on it right now. You know, if, if, if this is a silly situation, when you look back on it, or if you don't even remember this situation five years from now, let it go. Just let it go. Not a hundred percent. So Trent, I appreciate you getting on the line today. If anybody wants to reach out and get a hold of you, learn more about uh, the Little Bear Produce brand, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, well, they could certainly find us online at littlebearproduce.com, um, or they could just reach out to me directly at tbishop at littlebearproduce.com. And uh, you know, I I am a friend of the industry. Whether uh, you know, I'd like to think that I am a friendly competitor to those that I am competing with. And certainly, uh, if it's good for our industry, it's good for me. And so I, I'm you know available to whoever might need need any kind of assistance or feedback. And we appreciate it. We appreciate it, Trent. So um, one more thing, because I always like to ask everybody who I talk to. 
if you were to give any advice to the industry right now, and three weeks ago, I was telling everybody to be resilient uh, or reactive and resilient because I think that's where we were. I, if I move towards today, I'm telling people to be knowledgeable and innovate. What would you tell the, our industry right now, um, giving advice to, you know, as a mentor, right? As someone in the industry that, you know, that doesn't know much, what would you say to them? I would just say that nothing is ever is as bad or as good as it seems. And so even though things seem a little dire right now, um, if you were to look at the history of the world, we've been in some pretty dire situations and everything has worked out. So uh, we are a very resourceful and resilient bunch. And we will we will come out of this as a human race stronger uh, for having been through it. That's fantastic. Well, I appreciate you being here today, Trent, and uh, everyone here at the Produce Industry Podcast. I know they're going to enjoy hearing you today. Awesome, Patrick. Well, listen, I sure appreciate you having me, bud. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.